Well, thank you, Paul and Leslie, and good afternoon to all of you. Let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Ephesians. Uh, and as I've, we're getting close to where your Bible won't fall open to that one, we're going to go to another place eventually. Some of you have been doubtful of that, that your Bible really only contained Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 17. Let's read it once more, though, Ephesians chapter 6, beginning now at verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly, and to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. May God add a special blessing to the reading of his word, and let us just pause for prayer prior to our study this afternoon. Father God, it is a privilege, certainly, for us to be gathered today to be in this place, to be surrounding the word of God, as you will speak to us through it. Father, we thank you that Jesus Christ is the living word of God. Father, today we would ask that you would not only open our eyes, so that we can see you more closely, more definitively. But, Father, we would taste and we would relationally never have been closer than these moments now because of your strength, because of your power, because of your sovereignty. Father, thank you for being awesome. Thank you for never changing as well. All of these things add up to being truly an awesome God. Father, we would ask specifically that our teacher today would exclusively be the Holy Spirit. We would ask that he would move us and Take us where you would want us to be in regards to the word. And, Father, the changes that need to take place, that they would be, and for us to stand firm and the strength to be resonated, all of those things, Father, we would pray for this afternoon. Pray for those that have come out and the special needs that they may have, Father, that you would take care of those as well. Wrap your arms around that person today that has something that is very heavy, something that is a care that is too heavy to mention. Father, but you know it intimately and carefully. Father, would you just anoint them with your love? And now, Father, as we anticipate what you will do, it's with a great deal of confidence in the Word of God that we'll move forward because we can know that you are our God and we are your people because of what Jesus Christ accomplished on Calvary's tree. These things we'll ask now in Christ's name. Amen. Paul has coached me on a couple of different occasions already this afternoon, but uh, those of you that have been keeping, keeping up there, and those of you that weren't here last week or the week before, you're off the hook. So for just a moment, uh, you can relax, but the rest of you are on the spot. Um, you, we've been trying to enhance our memory program with Ruby Valley Bible Church, and uh, two weeks ago, I think it was, or three weeks, Paul, could you bring it 
which was a couple weeks ago. A couple, we weeks, ago. A couple weeks ago, we, we really worked on a heavy one, and that was in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 17. And all together now, you that have learned that verse and tucked it away into memory would say... Pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. I mean, it's, it, was, it was heavy work. It was heavy work. And really, literally, to enact that is heavy work. It really is. Uh, to be a prayer warrior and to be praying without ceasing. Literally, we talked about that uh, several weeks ago in regards to my mother, actually. She was a prayer warrior. And what made it is the fact that it's harder for you as a human being not to breathe than it is to breathe. That's exactly the way it should be for you when you become a Christian. Praying should be just natural. And the more natural it is, the better you get at it. But then Paul, of course, encouraged us to continue our scripture memorization. And I said, well, let's go to the next hardest verse that I could think of. And that would be 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 16. Now, Paul didn't know until this moment that I'm going to have him recite for us so that we can learn together. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 16 says... You're going to help me. Rejoice always. <laughs> All right. Look what you captured now in the sense of Scripture. You have two magnificent verses that literally can change your life. Because if you're in the, in the rejoicing mode at all times and you're praying without ceasing, literally your life will be changed. Just think of that. Just those five words and what it can do to your life. And that's the power of the Word of God, quite honest. So where are we going next, Paul? What would be our Psalms next? Psalms 119. <laughs> <laughs> that, would be moving, that would be moving to another level. We maybe need to go incrementally, Paul. That, 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 I'll tell you what, I will, I'm not sure what I'll do, but if anybody can come, come in, well, I'll just set aside because if you can say and rehearse Psalm 119, you have the service. <laughs> So, very rich indeed. <laughs> very rich indeed. But that actually, uh, these things that we're talking about, in, in the sense, in one way, is the fact that this is the power of the Word of God. And that's where we find ourselves today as we're putting on the whole armor of God. How important for us to put it all on. There's six pieces, and we come to literally the sixth one today. Uh, we, we had the belt of truth, which literally is that sense of commitment. Are you committed to being engaged in a war? And if you're a Christian, if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you got installed. You were drafted. You were made a soldier. And now the best thing that that owner or that operator of the army would be is to give you a suit of armor. And thank goodness God did that. He gave you the belt of truth. It keeps everything together. Commitment. We talked about the breastplate of righteousness. This is really surrounding yourself. Uh, the, the precious, the vital organs of which it protects to surround them with righteousness or holiness. It really protects you from a lot of things. And these things are not, these are not, how do I want to say this? These are not put them on when you feel like it. It says to take them. I'm sorry, having them. Having the belt of truth. Having the breastplate of righteousness. And then having the shoes of peace, which is confidence. I'll tell you what, if you are not sure-footed, I think of this even in a vehicle. I don't think I use this analogy, but um, if I have studs on my tires and it's snowing ice, I feel a lot more confident, as opposed to those slicks, if you understand what I'm saying. And it's amazing how it sticks out, the differences in those, in that, in, in this case, wheels or footwear. And the confidence is what, in the sense that our salvation, we are at peace with God. If you're at peace with God, you can flat be confident. The only way you can have that is through Jesus Christ. Those are things that you don't ever take off. Those three things, you have them. And then it talked about taking. In addition to this, you are to take the shield of faith. 
That takes those fiery darts of temptation and, and it blocks them. And then what was another one? Because I've forgotten it right now. That one we talked about. Yep, the shoes. Breastplate. Oh, helmet, of helmet of salvation. Boy, there's a critical one, isn't it? We talked about Satan. T- actually, took two weeks to it um, in the sense of there's a couple of different swords. Uh, one is a broad sword that Satan, quite honestly, wields a lot. And on one side of it is discouragement, and the other one is doubt. Those are his two main themes to be able to, if he could discourage you or cause you to fall into doubt in the sense of God is a good God, you know what? That is a head blow. And, and a broadsword is a three or four foot long sword that literally Satan wields with a great deal of accuracy as well. Today we want to look at the last one. You get your sword. So, so far it would seem that you're just kind of defensively just standing pat. By the way, that's all we need to do. You're not to chase after demons. You're not to chase after the devil. You're not to do anything other than to stand firm and resist. Those are the words that the scripture is very clear about. Today, you get your sword. You get your sword. It would be now interesting as we unfold this, you will find that it's not only offensive in the sense of it's our offensive weapon. It actually is very defensive as well. It is used in both cases. But let's first of all talk about, let's go to verse 17, chapter 6 of Ephesians. It says, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Uh, quickly, I'd like to just go through some of the things that the Word of God is. And, and if you'd like, we're not going to go to all these verses. We're going to keep moving. But you can jot these down because they give reference to these particular aspects of the Word of God. First of all, we know that the Word of God is infallible. It's perfect. It's flawless. You can count on it. You find that in Psalm 19.7. In Proverbs chapter 30, verses 5 and 6, you find that it's inerrant. There are no mistakes. It's inerrant. So far, these are things that certainly our world would need. It's also very complete, and we'll turn to that one for a moment. It doesn't need addition. It doesn't need subtraction. Let's go to Revelation chapter 22. Turn to the very last book in your scriptures, Revelation chapter 22, and let's look at verses 18 and 19. Listen carefully. Uh, Revelation 22, verses 18 and 19. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. It is complete. It needs no additions. It needs no subtractions. It's also very authoritative. Uh, you'll find through the New Testament, I'm sorry, through the Old Testament particularly, but in this case, write down Isaiah chapter 1, verse 2. In other words, God has raised up, given, adv- given all of the authority necessary, and they are held firmly to that account. It's very authoritative. Yes, it'd be Isaiah 1 and verse 2. It's also sufficient. Take a look at this one. Let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse, I'm sorry, chapter 3 verse 15. It is sufficient for what? Well, let's take a quick look. This is important. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 15. What if, what if parts of, of the Bible were left out and it wasn't complete and you had to go find more stuff to get saved? It's just kind of like this pathway. It'd be like a treasure map, but it's not complete. And there's a couple pages, but there's several missing. What do you guys think about that? Would that be okay? No. If it gets you started on the trail, shouldn't you be able to figure it out? Well, I'm really glad that it is actually sufficient. Let's, let's watch now. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise 
unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. In other words, the scripture is sufficient to literally guide you completely into salvation. And we should say amen and hallelujah to know that that's complete in its furthest form. But it's also effective. It transforms. uh, Let's take a look at that one. Isaiah chapter 55. See if you can find Isaiah chapter 55. And again, this speaks to the sense of its effectiveness. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 11. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. When the word of God goes out, it's effective. God does not let it return void. It's very, very effective. It transforms those that come in contact with it. And then seventh is the fact that it's divine. And let's take a look at that one quickly. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 21. It is, in fact, of God. There's no question about it. Actually, I, I was going, I tell you what, I'm going to, while you're looking up 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, I, I found something on my phone that described from John Wesley's standpoint of who wrote the Bible. Let's see if I can't gather that real quickly. Where did I have you go to? First Peter. It was Second uh, Peter. Let's go. Well, you're let Second Peter chapter one. You're already there waiting for me. It says in verse. 21 of chapter 1, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of men. That's not where the Bible came from. But holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. What a fascinating thing to know that literally uh, God wrote the Bible. And wouldn't you know it, but that disappeared right now, the one I was going to review for you. But I'll see if I can't dig it up as we go along. The other thing is, this one is very interesting. Um, how you respond to the Bible is very determinative. Uh, do you take the Bible or do you reject the Bible? It's very clear that that determines where you're from. In fact, Jesus stated something that we find in John. Let's go to the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 47. Verse 47. John eight forty-seven. Watch this. This is very true. John eight forty-seven. He that is of God, heareth or receiveth God's words. You, therefore, hear them not, because you are not of God. If you listen, obey, receive the word of God, you literally are of God. If you reject it, don't listen to it, don't obey it, it reveals, in fact, that you aren't. It's very determinative, the word of God. Infallible, inerrant, complete, authoritative, sufficient, effective, divine, and determinative. Wow, that's pretty complete. That's a big list. That's what it is. But what does it do for you? What does the Bible do for you? That's an important consideration. Now, you've carried it with you. Many of you have your Bible with you. If you don't, you probably have one at home or one in every room, it would seem, right? There was a time, literally, folks, that no one had a Bible. Thank you for, like, Mr. Tyndale. He felt the best way to improve men's understanding of what's right and wrong is to give people the opportunity to have the knowledge of the Word of God. And the way to have that is to have it at their disposal. 
thank goodness for Mr. Tyndale. And he paid a price. It would be the last thing that Satan would have wanted is to have Bibles for everyone. I marvel today, there's one place in the world that literally, and I'm not saying that there's not others, but David White was not able to reveal anyone else either. But think of this, in the nation of Honduras, Central America, literally there are Bibles being utilized. And I don't know, does anyone remember how many Bibles? I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a boatload. Like, I think they took like 500,000. Is that that's the number you remember? Okay, th- think of this now. 500,000 Bibles that went to the little nation of Honduras. Now, are you ready? They didn't just use them in the churches like we're here today. And by the way, it's becoming closer to the point that for us to gather in a place that we call a place of worship, for us to worship our almighty God, that it is getting closer and closer to where I can't speak from the Bible if it offends someone. But in the little nation of Honduras... At least 500,000 Bibles just from David White's group. Are you ready? Are being utilized and used in public schools of which they're teaching from them. Whoa! God's at work in that nation. What do you think is going to happen to that nation in about 20 or 30 years with that many young people having the word of God tucked away in their minds? Not to be rivaled with you guys because you've got two verses fixed away right now. (laughs) You're right there. You're right there. But isn't that amazing, though, to think of what's taken place in that little nation that made choices, made choices to receive God's word. That's amazing. I, I find that remarkable. I can't remember what I was going to do next. What were we talking about? I was trying to find this, which isn't working very well. Yeah, there we go. That's, let's bring me back to that. I'm trying to do too many things at once here, which usually doesn't work out for anyone. Um, what does the Bible do for you? Let's talk about it from the sense of source. Uh, today, what do you think Americans are looking for? What do they really want more than anything? And this, I'm probably opening up this too much, but ultimately it should bring us to some point. There's something that seems absent. It started at some time ago because it does, nothing happens overnight. But what, what do people... I need to know, that didn't work, did it? <laughs> There's an absence of this in our world today, and not just America, but it's literally across the world. Truth. Truth. That's exactly right. Truth. Truth. I'll pay you guys right now. That was really good. Because I, I, I didn't know where I was going to go next if somebody couldn't get this. This would be a long session. But source of truth. Literally, if you're here and you want to know truth... You can know beyond a shadow of a doubt, that's your source. doesn't matter if you agree with it. It doesn't matter if anybody else agrees with it. Truth is not determined by popular opinion. Truth matches reality, and truth is truth regardless of what one thinks of it. Truth is truth. In fact, we know Jesus Christ even said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man come out of the Father but by me. But let's take another look at John chapter 17. Clearly defined and said outrightly of what literally is God's word. John chapter 17 and verse 17. This is Jesus in what would be known as the high priestly prayer. He was praying for not only those disciples that were surround that he was praying for that night before his betrayal, but he was praying for us as well as in future generations of those that would trust in him. And it says, sanctify them or set them apart. That's what sanctification means. Set them apart through thy truth. Thy word is truth. What does the Bible do for you? It's a source of truth. 
Let's turn to uh, uh, Luke chapter 11. Just turn back one book, uh, Luke chapter 11, verse 28, and let's read that verse. Luke chapter 11 and verse 28. When we're done with what can the Bible do for you, you will be amazed at how powerful it really, really is. Luke chapter 11, verse 28. And if you remember, uh, you remember the Sermon on the Mount, that was back in Matthew chapter 5, and the word that was used was blessed. Or the word for us today would be happy. Blessed would equal happy. So keeping that in mind, Luke chapter 11, verse 28 says, You rather blessed are happier they that hear the word of God and keep it. The Bible is also a source of happiness, which is really cool because there's a lot of very, very unhappy people today. If you noticed, uh, the world is full of unhappy people. Why do you think that is? Uh, Because they're seeking happiness. Now, if your main motivation in life, like today, starting today, and for the rest of your life, your number one goal is to be happy, I will guarantee you, you will never be happy. There's a lot of men that have tried, a lot of men and women have tried it, that have a lot of money, a lot of power, a lot of everything, but if their full and complete goal is to be happy, it's impossible. Now, we found right there that if you hear God's word and obey it, happiness is yours. Blessed are you. It's amazing how this little thing that I thought I could find so simply is not as simple as it thinks. It'll take me the whole time, but as long as you're patient with me, I'll uh, I'll eventually get there. So let's review a source. Let's write these down because I think this is important uh, for us to keep track of. So it's a source of truth. This one's not going to work quite as well. This must, Presley must have been involved with that one. And it's also a source of happiness. So what do you guys think? This book should be just, it should be selling like hotcakes. In fact, if you went downtown Sheridan and said, I've got a book that is a source of truth, and it's a source of happiness, that should be all it takes. But I've got a lot more for you. Let's find some more. There's a source of growth. Of growth. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 2. As newborn babes, 1 Peter 2, 2, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. It's interesting as you have a, a young infant and you're feeding that baby milk, guess what happens? Magically, miraculously, amazingly, the child grows. You know what? If you desire the word of God, you're going to grow. That's kind of cool. So it's a source of growth. But it doesn't end there. As you're in 1 Peter, turn to Hebrews for a moment. Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. How many men uh, actually adhered to God's advice and recommendation, commendation to take charge of your house today and were responsible enough to make the coffee this morning? He brews. Some of you aren't catching on. That's okay. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. We find another inference, literally, to 
the Word of God in a different way. We'll be coming back to it, potentially. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, For the Word of God, oh, that's what we've been talking about, is quick and powerful. That means it's alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and as a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. It's amazing, literally, the power that you have in the Word of God. It will give you power. It is a source of power. A source of power. But that's not all. Let's go to Psalm chapter 119. Uh, No no doubt, Paul, you've got this one under your belt. Uh, (laughs) Psalm 105, I'm sorry, Psalm 119 and verse 105. Psalm 119, 105. Now, one of the things is we're talking about using. We're going to go from what it can do for you, and then we're going to get to the point of what can, how do we use it? Because that's literally what, you know, all of you, but I'm sure everyone, now, if there's someone here that does not have a Bible, and I'm talking not just here today, but if you don't have a Bible in your possession, you come and see me, we will get you one. Because it's imperative that you have a Bible, the Word of God. It's imperative. I'm, I'm serious, too, by the way. That's what we do. We want people to have the Word of God because it is the sword of the Spirit. And without it, now if you're a believer and you're here and you don't have a Word of God, you really do need one, absolutely need one. But if you're here and don't know Jesus Christ personally, the Bible in your hands really isn't all that it can be. You have no idea what it can do because it's not a weapon in the hands of an unbeliever. Because when you trust Christ as your Savior, then instantaneously the Holy Spirit comes to live and dwell within you. Scripture says it in a number of different places. And when the Spirit lives within you, guess what? You have on board a truth teacher. Someone that never leaves. How about that for a teacher? And he's taking the Word of God to do that. Psalm 119 and verse 105 says this. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Now, you, you take that verse by itself and what would probably happen, I heard Paul went one time, he went into the Bible bookstore and he went in and he said, I want to buy a Bible today. And I want the Bible that's got the biggest headlight on it. Pardon me? Well, because Psalm 119 must be clear of his heart. He said, well, it's a light unto my path, so there's got to be a Bible that has a really big light and I want that Bible. That would be like buying the biggest Bible, put it at the end of a stick, and beat people with it, and that's your sword. That is not the idea here. You don't beat people with a Bible, right? It's not a weapon of that nature. See, that's the thing that's really, really important for us as we get to understand, as we're talking later, how do we use it? You can't use what you don't know. You don't carry it around. That's not enough. It's got to be more intimate, more individualistic than that. But what was it saying here? It's a source of guidance. If you've got a problem today, if you've got a challenge, if there's things that you can't really get your arms wrapped around, it literally becomes that light. It's a, it's a source of guidance. Guidance. Source of guidance. And then... Oh, there it is. Very good. I was reading my notes and I couldn't read them. That's never happened before. But Romans chapter 15. Let's go there for a moment. Romans 15 and verse 4. This is one that's very, very precious. For Romans 15, 4. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. It's a source of comfort. I don't know oftentimes... 
You know, you've got one, you have one of those days and things just fall apart. Now, if anyone had one of those, never, never. You know what? I want to go to the scriptures, and a lot of times it is truly my source of comfort. It's able to put its arms around me, if you will, through the power of the Spirit and give me comfort. It's also a source of maturity. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. 2 Timothy 3, verse 16. A source of maturity. How many of you want to grow up and become mature? Well, that, was, that's, that seems, seems not a... This may, should we move on? I, nobody wants to... Okay. Well, we'll just say it quickly and just move on. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. For the, for the someone in here that may want to grow up uh, someday and be mature, it says this. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Literally, you will become mature when you study and hold it close to yourself. It's a sense of a maturity is a source. And one more. It's a source of victory. Guess where we would go for that? Where would you go as being a source of victory? This, this isn't as hard as you make it. Excuse me? That's absolutely correct. That's absolutely correct. But even going beyond that, because of the cross, we're able to have the armor of God, right? So how about the verse we're studying? <laughs> Ephesians 6.17. That would be the one I would use. It's a source of victory. Source of victory. Now, I'm going to have you tomorrow... Well, I'll give you the whole week. Why don't you try to sell this book to someone? You've got the book. Now, how many? There's bestsellers, right? New York bestsellers list. It's amazing what they can sell there, isn't it? You paid that much for that book? What if you told somebody that I have the source of truth, I've got the source of happiness, I've got the source of growth, in, in, in your life growth, I've got the source of power, I've got the source of guidance, I've got the source of comfort, I've got the source of maturity, I've got the source of victory. That should sell like crazy. Why doesn't it? Why doesn't it? Because Satan is busy, busy, busy beaver, trying to make sure that it isn't received. That it's not received at all. He doesn't want anybody to read this. We'll come back to that in a moment. Now, the word sword of the spirit. We talked about it already, but there's two types of swords. One that we talked about and even putting on the armor. One is the big, long, broad sword, which Satan uses for dis- with discouragement and doubt. That you have to have your helmet of salvation on. Make sure that you understand future. your future salvation is fixed and secure. Because without it, discouragement and doubt will very much plague you. But there's that other one, that dagger that's probably six inches to 18. I don't know how I'm doing on my, on my, is that about 18 inches? But you get it. It's a short one, right? And it's one for hand-to-hand, man-to-man combat. And it's called a machera. And that's the same word used right here for the sword of the spirit. It's not, in other words, don't go to the Bible bookstore and get this monster Bible and then just start whacking it around and flailing in it. That's not where the strength is. It's in that small sword. The one that's intended for individual or hand-to-hand combat. Now, let's look at an example of this. Uh, The master actually does this for us. Let's go to 
I've got a lot of other stuff here that I must have missed, but that's okay. Let's go to Matthew chapter 4. Maybe it'll come back later. Matthew chapter 4, and let's watch Jesus use the sword of the Spirit. The, using it in a way that is specific. I, that's the thing I want to... There's a word that we want to come out of here today, that the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, I want you to think, not generally, not just throwing the Bible out there, I want you to think specifically. What if Jesus said, when, when, oh, let's, just, let's just look at it. There's three times that Satan comes before him. Now, what would be the first temptation that would be a good one for Jesus, or for you? What if you hadn't eaten for 40 days and 40 nights? I'd go with the food thing. That's where I'd come, right? And sure enough, here he comes. Satan's. By the way, Satan's really clever. He knows your weaknesses. He knows where you're vulnerable. Particularly in areas that you don't know the Word of God. Those are areas he'll come at you hard. So let's look now, Matthew chapter 4. Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. This would be quite... Can you imagine advertising this one? The fight of all times. It's about to unfold. Jesus is going into the wilderness and ringside we will have the devil on one side and Jesus on the other. Who's going to win? <laughs> Let's find out. Now it's amazing too, do you notice that we don't fight against flesh and blood, we fight against principalities and powers. It's a spiritual war. Keep that in mind. When he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward hungry. I'll bet he was. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. What is he saying to Jesus? You really can't trust God. You can't wait for him. I don't know what's going on here. Why would God allow you to be that hungry for that long a period of time? Does that sound like that could be an argument that you could think about? Have you been waiting for God and waiting for him and wondering, is he ever going to show up? would be much the same way. How does Jesus respond to that? Well, the Bible says he speaks a very specific portion, doesn't he? He goes right to block that temptation, to doubt God, to say that God's not good enough. He goes right to it, and he states this out of Deuteronomy. He answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. In other words, no, Satan, I'm going to trust God in his timing because he knows what I need. He knows exactly where I'm at. He's got me, and he's fully there. Did you see he went right to the heart of that matter? It wasn't just about bread. Did Jesus have the ability? Did he have the strength to make those stones? Well, of course he did. But it was to be God's timing, to be his will. Specifically went to then the devil taketh him up into the holy city and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple, saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and into their hands you shall bear them up, lest at any time thou shalt dash thy foot against a stone. Now this is interesting. Now he wants Jesus to trust in God for a reason you shouldn't trust God. This is not God's will, right? I often think of these people, these snake charmers or whatever, and they look at Mark and they say, well, you know, I'm protected because those guys were. Why would you do that? Why would you handle poisonous snakes? I mean, God gave you a brain, right? That's a poisonous snake. Why would you, see what I'm saying? You're literally tempting God. That's what Jesus responds to right here. Look at this, what he says. 
It is written again, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Specifically goes right to that temptation. Now, do you see what's happening? This is where the sword of the Spirit is literally defensive. Have you watched, um, what's, what's, what is that? Fencing. That's a legal sport, I guess. I, I don't understand it all. It looks very dangerous to me. But at any rate, but if you were even in battle, if you had two swords, you notice that sword is not just for offensive because the other person is also acting offensively. And you know what? You can parry those blows. This is exactly, Satan is thrusting a temptation to Jesus, and Jesus blocks it with the Word of God. It's not only offensive. Don't miss that. The defensive portion of the Word of God is just as important to save you from falling into a real problematic area. It's not just the offensive part, and it's fun to be offensive. That sounded terrible. I don't want to be offensive. But you understand what I'm saying. The, The offensive part is when we're preaching the Word of God. When we're literally laying it out there, it's amazing. You know, the more that you talk about the Word of God when you're preaching it, do you know temptation has very little chance of coming at you? Because you're offensively taking the Word of God to the people. Right? That's the best time. But there's also those when the temptations come at you, the Word of God acts in your behalf as a defense mechanism. Jesus is blocking these blows. You can just see what he's doing. But again, keep this in mind. When he's going back at it, it's not just the Bible in general. It's very, very specific. We're going to be talking about that word. It's called rhema, but we'll be talking about it in just a moment. Let's look at the last one. Satan comes one more time, and he takes him into an exceeding high mountain, verse 8, and showeth him all of the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. He said unto him, All of these things will I give you if you will fall down and worship me. And then said Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Now watch the next verse. This is exactly the same response that comes. When you wield the sword of the Spirit and have the whole armor of God, do you see what Jesus did? He stood firm and he said, what? Get away from me because of the power. And guess what he does? I love verse 11. Watch this. Verse 11. Then the devil leaveth him. And he will leave you if you use the sword of the Spirit in that manner. You don't flail the Bible around, but you're precisely blocking each temptation. It's defensively, Jesus shows us the great deal of expertise of how the Bible can be utilized to block his blows. Now, be careful that Satan will attack you, particularly in areas that you don't know what the Scripture says about things. He, he will definitely go to those areas. If you don't know what the Bible says about things, that's a, that's a prime candidate for him to get involved in your life. That's why it's so important for us to know the scriptures, know the word. Now, let's go back to Ephesians. Let's talk about that word for a moment. Ephesians chapter 6. We'll keep moving along here. Ephesians chapter 6, and let's go to verse 17, the verse we're working on today. It says, And the sword, that's the machera of the Spirit, the small sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, it's not the Word that... Okay, I've got to say this more carefully. The Word, Word, is not Logos. It's not the whole Word of God. The Word is Rhema. In other words, a specific statement. In fact, specific statements about Christ, and you have to adhere to them or reject them. It's not the whole banana. It's a specific statement. That's exactly what Jesus did as he resisted. Satan was to use specific statements to block his advances. Let's go to uh, 
it's almost like if you think about it, when you continue to learn more about the scriptures, I, I was thinking uh, today in, in the sense of a quiver where you have various uh, arrows that are specifically for a design target. But it'll also be like a reservoir. Okay? I think of today, what are we short in this place right now? Water. Man, do we need a rain or whatever? I've never seen the western United States this dry ever in my, in my life. 60 years old. I've never, ever seen it. This would go back to the 30s, the Dust Bowl days. We are in desperate straits. I have to read this verse. I've shared this with some of our irrigators. Do you mind? This is totally off the subject. But it sets our minds right with the right perspective, regardless of circumstances. You're probably here today. There may be something in your life that is way out of whack. You don't know how this is going to get fixed. In fact, it's, that's kind of an everyday thing anymore. Let's turn to a book. And I, this, I don't know why, but it popped right in my mind. So I usually take that seriously. Hold your place. We'll be right back. Somebody has to remind me what we're going to talk about. And then let's go to the little book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk. You guys know where that's at? Use your index. Habakkuk. It has three chapters. And I'm going to give you just a little bit of a background. Now, Habakkuk was a prophet, and he was the one who was asking tough questions of God. He was saying, you know what, God? I cannot believe how far we in your nation have fallen. We are jerks. We're losers. Someone need, you, you have to step in, and you have, to, you have to do something. And God says, I am. I'm planning on it. I'm going to use the Babylonians. The what alonians You mean like the evil way? The, those guys? Those guys that are the most wretched, the most cursed, the most evil people on the planet of the earth? You're going to use those guys to judge us? And God said, yeah, I am. And he's just lost. How could you do that? And then for a couple of chapters, God just works through this. But watch where Habakkuk ends up. This is the very last part of chapter 3. Let's start in verse 17. Chapter 3, Habakkuk. Therefore, I'm sorry, although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines, the labor of the olive shall fail, and the field shall yield no meat, the flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd or cattle in the stalls. How does that sound? (laughs) That sounds no income, no bread. No nothing. That verse is full of a lot of nothingness. And he makes a statement. These are decisions that he makes. Verse 18. Yet, even though I will rejoice in the Lord, I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength, and he will make my feet like hinds feet or deer's feet. Stability and and, and almost like a, a sense of that energy. And he will make me to walk upon mine high places. Now, that's a perspective that has been taken regardless of circumstance. Is that not refreshing? That's an encouragement to us that here's a man. Now, by the way, he's also being conquered by the most evil nation in the world. And the chances of him having anything are about zero. But where's our faith today? Where's our faith in America? It's in a whole lot of other things than the Lord God Almighty, isn't it? We're going to struggle until we make that our... First and foremost, falling after the Lord God. Well, let's go back and let's take a look now at Matthew 13. Matthew 13. Matthew 13. And let's look at the offensive part of it and how Satan measures into this. Matthew 13, there's the word that goes out. Let's start in verse 1. 
The same day, Matthew chapter 13, verse 1, the same day when Jesus, out of the house and sat by the seaside. He does this regularly. He's stepped out of the house, he's by the seaside, and then great multitudes were gathered unto him so that he went into a ship and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. If you think of that as this, as this massive group just keeps pushing and pushing, and Jesus, you know, he's probably stepping back into the water to make room, and pretty soon somebody says, we better get in the boat or you're going to drown, right? And so, well, Jesus wouldn't, but anybody else would. And he, and he goes out, and then all of these people are there, and he, he, he preaches, teaches in a parable. What's he going to say to this group today? Let's watch it. Let's watch it. Verse... Three, he spoke many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. He was planting seeds. When he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell on stony places where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up because they had no deepness of earth. When the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. But other fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. He who hath ears to hear, let him hear. The disciples, they said, why do you keep speaking? I mean, you know, he says that and the disciples are, John, 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 did you, did you get what he's saying? John, Peter, be quiet. Shh. No, I didn't. Right? That's how it kind of how it was sometimes. Jesus would say something really profound and it would be like, And they finally ask him, why do you do it that way? And he explains it to them, which he does on almost every single occasion. But he's down here in verse 18. Let's look at this. Hear you therefore the parable of the sower. Listen carefully now, folks. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom. In other words, that's exactly what the sower is. That's that one preaching, teaching, giving out, throwing out the word of God. Just winging it out there. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which receives seed by the wayside. Now that happens on numerous, innumerable occasions. As, as the word of God, God goes out. And for you that may have trusted Christ, that have believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and he is the only way for us to be saved. And, and the gospel is clear, very clear to you. You've received it in a previous time. And you'd say, boy, that was, that was great. The word of God went out there. They, and you know, what it, you know what happened? Whoosh. Didn't catch it, right? Couldn't remember it? Never got it? There was a thought. You know, I forgot to check the irrigation dam over there on that Mill Creek place. Or, I wonder, did I put gas in the car? You know what? That's the evil one that's snatching away the word of God. He doesn't want you to remember that. He doesn't want any part of you getting tuned in because you know what? On the good ground, what happens? It produces fruit and multitudes of fruit. So this wicked one wants to steal that away. And there are so many people that literally their minds don't even catch that seed that's being thrown out there. But there's another one that he speaks of. This is the one that we talk about next. And, but he, verse 20, that received the seed in the stony places, this is the shallow soil, the same as he that heareth the word, and with joy receiveth it, yet he hath no root in himself, but endureth for a while. And then when tribulation or persecution arises because of this, the word, and by his offense. In other words, you receive the word, you know, that, that makes a lot of sense to me. 
I'm a sinner. I can't solve sin. I can't fix it. I can't buy my way out of it. I can't... I, that's, that makes good sense. And then have you noticed... You've probably noticed this in your life. When you have a spiritual victory... Remember Elijah? We talked about him last week. The discouragement that came in his life. He had had a massive triumphant. I mean, chapter 18 of, of 1 Kings is amazing to see this man triumph at that level. And you know what Satan loves to do in a moment where there's opportunity for God to be glorified and to take to another level, he will come in there and bring a little bit of a trial. No, what I meant was a massive level of tribulation and trial. And that person that is just contemplating, thinking about maybe trusting Christ, because it makes good sense, when you turn up the heat, you turn up that persecution, whatever that looks like, if you turn up that tribulation dial, you know what happens? They back away. That's not for me. Looks like that's not going to work for me. That's one of the things I say to someone that's just trusted Christ. Get some armor on. It's coming. There is a war that you're involved in. You don't even know you got planted into this war, but you know what? Get ready. Get ready. But there's one more that Satan is involved with and from the offensive part. Not only to snatch away the seed, not to turn up the tribulation or the persecution... But verse 22 talks about receiving seed among the thorns is that he heareth the word and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. Uh, There's another group of folks that hear the word, receive it, but then study and look around and you know what? The world system has too much pull. There's too much there for them to give that up. Who do you think is behind that ploy? Satan. Satan wants to choke out the Word of God. Satan wants to steal the Word of God. Satan wants to take every possible opportunity to thwart what God is trying to turn in to fruitful, productive Christian living. And Jesus spoke of it very clearly. But on the offensive, as you continue to put the Word out, some will take root. Some will take effect. We have to know the word. You have to know the word. One of the questions that we need to continue to ask ourselves as we read something, what did it say? I want, I want you to be, you know what, if I told you to be a Berean, that would be a good thing. Turn with me to Acts chapter 17. Let's watch the, the Bereans. Paul's in town. He's teaching. He's preaching. And they respond just the way you should, even after today. Whatever you've heard from me, if you've maybe taken notes, you know what really, really what you'd really want to do is go home and study. And see, did Larry, did, is that what the scripture says? And if it's not, would you please make me the first phone call? Because I want to know too. Let's go to Acts chapter 17 and let's read verse 11. Acts 17, 11. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that... They received the word with all readiness of mind. And there's an open, and watch, and search the scriptures daily, whether those things were so. Make that a mark of yourself to study the scriptures to see exactly if that's what is in fact true. True. Yeah, Martin Luther, I would have to say probably author of the Reformation. He was a man that was steeped in Catholicism and he was a monk and Satan literally had his life at bay. Why do I say that, Larry? Well, he was very religious, right? How could, you know what? Behind that curtain, behind that sense of religiosity, because he was living in a life of legalism. 
He literally would, you couldn't even walk up steps, you would crawl up the steps. His knees, they said, were twice the size of any normal man because of the, how much time he'd spent on his knees. But it was all in vain because there's no life in the law. That doesn't produce life. And that one day, that verse came across his viewfinder. The word of God, this one that transformed lives, it said this, and it caught him, the just. In other words, that's what I want to be if you're Martin Luther. He wanted to be just. He wanted to be righteous. He wanted to be everything that God wanted him to be. And it said, the just shall live by faith. That gnawed at him. That literally just gnawed at What do you mean, live by faith? How do you do that? And it started this search, this unfolding, this unpacking, because pretty soon he started to see that Abraham, his faith was counted for righteousness. Right? And all of this started to come. And you know what? He came to this pinnacle where, this is important, the Bible is higher than tradition. If you've got a tradition that you really adhere to, that's okay. But mark it, measure it against the Bible. And if that tradition, you want to make it higher in the Bible, get rid of the tradition. If the church policy is above the Bible, get rid of the church policy. The Bible is overall more authoritative and more pure and more perfect and more inerrant than anything else in this world. And when Martin Luther took a stand for that, you talk about having his life in trouble but you know what it didn't matter because he knew he needed to stand on the truth and that's what we need to do today stand on the truth stand on the truth particularly in where our nation is right now we don't even know what truth is we've talked a little bit about uh, Tyndall he felt the way to make people strong is to give them the knowledge of the word of God and he literally took to heart the thing that he felt was restricting the people, and that was to literally make sure everyone had a copy of the Word of God. Now, what's sad to say in our world today is there's many copies of the Word of God that have a lot of dust on them, that no one knows what's inside. No one knows what it says. And then beyond that, they don't think that it matters what it says. Our youngest generation, the Generation Zs, feel that truth is unknowable. Have you contemplated that for a second? What do you believe then? Literally, you believe whatever is said the most and the loudest. That becomes what you believe. Do you know how scary that is? That's where we've arrived in our country today. We need to get back to truth. We need to get back to these things that the Bible can literally... You know what? I'm going to give you a dare. If you present the Bible that way... Now, don't tell them what the book is. You guys up for this? Well, it doesn't look really... Uh, well, if he said so. No. No, I mean, seriously. I mean, just... you. Lay, I hope you've written them down because that's literally... The Bible is the source of that. Not only for you to have trusted Christ, but it can be the source for anyone that begins to unfold it because what? Seek the Lord today and He will be found. He's reaching out to you. To them. When you get to the end, they're going to think it's something different than what you're going to tell them. But look at the reaction. See what it is. There may be someone. There may be someone from who you in this room approach on your life's journey that literally God will save because you've reached out there and asked them, I've got a book 
that literally can give you source of truth, source of happiness, source of growth, source of power, source of guidance, source of comfort, source of maturity, and source of victory. Do you want to know what that book is? (laughs) I'm going to say that most people say yes, but to follow through, you know what? That's where the seed is thrown out there. Okay? There's three other places of which that seed can be snatched, can be choked out by persecution, and then the world system will suck them back in. But there's someone that will say, the Bible has that? Where does it have that? Opening a brand new door for someone. Is it, is it biblical to dare someone? I dare you. Challenge. challenge. That's a nicer word, isn't it? I challenge you. I'd like to close with an illustration. I've talked a lot about the Word of God. Obviously, I want, there's two things that I would like to stand out of your mind. Is Number one is know it. Know it, know it, know it, know it, know it. And number two, make sure that you know it specifically. Those two things are really important. But there's responses to that that literally I want to talk about through the eyes of a man by the name of H.P. Barker. Don't know him personally, but I came across his writings. And he was a master of illustration. And he said, I was thinking about the Bible in a way that I would be looking out a window into a garden. And this garden had hundreds of beautiful blossoms of flowers. Hundreds and hundreds of them. It was beautiful, absolutely beautiful. And I, my eyes were, were caught by a little butterfly. Actually, it was a large butterfly. And it was just, it would land on a blossom, just light, and it would go to another one. It would, and just, just down for a second, and it would move on. And then there was this botanist came out with a notebook and a pen and they would get down and I mean study the flower and he would take and write notes and he was out there for hours watching, looking interpreting, viewing and then he got up and he closed his notebook, zipped it shut and walked off and then he said my eyes were caught by a little bee this little bee and this bee was different Because he would go to this flower and he would go down as far as he could get. And he would go in empty. But he would take off full of pollen that those flowers were there to take. And he would take it back to the hive. And he knew. You know what what they did with that pollen? They made honey. Too often are we a butterfly? These are the three bees. Hopefully you never forget this. Three bees. See, see how I am? I'm nothing, that, that guy. That bee, the botanist, and the butterfly. How many of us just land on the Word of God? Just, just kind of land there, and this is a nice... That was, that was nice. That was very nice. That was a very nice thought. And then we light over here. That was another very nice thought. Or are we like that botanist that has enough notes? We have enough theme books that we could, we could sink a small battleship. But you know what? It hasn't made an impression. It hasn't dug in. It hasn't, it hasn't made an impression on our lives. We studied it. We know it. But we haven't literally tied into it. Or are we like that little bee? Every time we go in empty. And every time we go out full. And when we take it back to the hive. We make honey. That's literally the most perfect picture that I know of. Of utilizing the word of God. 
to literally change your life and the world around you. I'm going to challenge you to be that bee today. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the word of God. Thank you that it is, in fact, the sword of the spirit. Thank you that we can count on it being everything that we need. Literally, a cross-reference as we're just closing here in prayer, Father. We think about the fact, another way of saying, of putting on the whole armor of God, Paul says in the book of Romans, chapter 13, verse 14, it says just so clearly, Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's literally exactly what we're doing. Jesus Christ is the truth. He declared, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's also our righteousness. He is our righteousness. Because of what he accomplished, we can live righteously. He is our peace. It's actually declared in Ephesians chapter 2 that just comes right out and says he is our peace because he died for our sins. Also, because he was faithful, we can react and live in faith. Even, Father, as you said in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, that he who confesses his sins, God is faithful to forgive them. Father, he is also our salvation. As we even noted yesterday that there were those that asked very succinctly and very directly of the apostles, how can we be saved And in Acts chapter 10, verse 31, they responded by saying, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou will be saved. He is also the living word of God. Father, today we've been talking about the word of God. We've been talking about the sword of the spirit. Literally, that is Jesus in every way, shape, and form. The word became flesh. Fathers, we put on the Lord Jesus Christ. How important it is for us to literally know that we are putting on the whole armor of God. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for what you're doing. And thank you, Father, for promising a future. For everyone that you have justified, those will be glorified. No one's lost in the mix. Jesus holds them firmly because of the power that you showed by raising him from the dead. That power affirms and secures our future. It is with that delight that we can say, with comfort, the power of God has given us everything we need to be victorious in a world that's gone crazy when we put on the whole armor of God. May you be praised, worshipped, and honored. We trust you for all that we need regardless of circumstances. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.